You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Austin, and a nickel back from the Bears. Also, took early. Here's it up. Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt is gone. Touchdown. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. This is your boy, Josh Webb, coming to you along with my co-host, Myson Adiasor. Myson, how's life treating you today? Man, I'm soaking wet. It's pouring down here in Missouri, <laughs> and I got caught in the rain. So yeah. I would take that because it's getting into the 90s here in Bakersfield, and it's just unacceptable. Like, And it's going to be that for the next six months like 110 dude, plus dude if it's not raining it's 85 88 degrees <laughs> well I w- we would be remiss if we didn't introduce our guest and allow her to complain about her weather if she would like we got gina thomas not just from sb nation's atlanta falcon site the falcoholic but she is also one of the writers for the the mothership SB Nation, just the regular old SB Nation NFL. Gina, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us on this Wednesday night. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I do want to complain about my weather because I left Atlanta today, this afternoon. It was like 82 degrees and sunny. And then I came to New York City and it is like in the 50s and raining. So I too have struggles, guys. That's that's unacceptable. Unacceptable, we, we, we are laying out first world problems here on this podcast. <laughs> yes. We are. I, I think by the end of it, we'll have solved all of what ails America. So stay tuned. Um, well, I think the, the, the first thing that we should jump right into is obviously you're familiar with uh, the Atlanta or excuse me, the former Atlanta Falcons uh, coach now current Los Angeles Rams offensive coordinator, Mr. Matt LaFleur, I guess we'll start with the easy question. What type of coach is LaFleur? Like, what type of characteristics is he looking for in his player? Where does he draw his line in the sand? One of the things that I think stands out about LaFleur is something that's really consistent across Dan Quinn's staff. It's something that Quinn looked for when he was building his staff, and that is that LaFleur is a teacher. And I think that particularly with young players like Jared Goff and Todd Gurley, you know, guys who you need to develop into stars, I think that this is exactly the type of coordinator that those guys need because he is somebody who is going to be patient with them. He's going to have high expectations and he's going to hold them to those expectations, but he's going to be patient with them and teach them. And so I think that that's probably a primary thing that stands out to me about LaFleur. Now I'm going to hit you with the tough question. because I'm ready. What, what, what everyone is interested in and, and what 
and and maybe you'll have some familiarity with this just have like I said writing for SB Nation NFL you look at the type of offense that Jared Goff uh, would prefer the you know the type of offense in which he would excel is probably favor more four or five wide uh, sets operating primarily out of the shotgun. Todd Gurley is, uh, as you probably well know, uh, he's a guy that run, loves to run out of the power eye formation. He's not a guy that, that, that likes to run out of the shotgun. And statistics kind of prove that he's not exactly, well, it's hard to know whether he's not good at it or whether the offensive uh, line was just not good at anything or whether it's an amalgam of both. Uh, but but there does seem to be some conflict, I guess you could say, between what Goff would prefer to do and maybe what even Lafleur would prefer to do and what Gurley would like to do. How is Lafleur going to juxtapose? How is he going to bring this all together? You know, and I think, again, I'm going to take it back to Dan Quinn because um, all of these coaches who spent the last two years working under Dan Quinn and I think learned a great deal from him. And one of the things that Quinn is all about is finding players' strengths and learning how to work those strengths into the offense. And, you know, you saw Atlanta do some kind of unorthodox things last year offensively. Uh, most of the time during the regular season, it worked out. Sometimes Super Bowl 51 comes to mind <laughs> when, when, you, uh, when you decide to pass when you're in field goal Look, range. the Rams had the most lead, but... pathetic season in the history of seasons. I... You can feel safe and know that at most there may be one or two Super Bowl jokes, but we're, we're people who live in glass <laughs> houses can't really throw stones, and we're living in the finest crystal house. Sure. But, I mean, I think that he will – I think that you're right about Gurley. I also think that Gurley is just a phenomenal athlete, and I think he can probably adapt – um, and I also think that the Jared Goff style of play doesn't necessarily work well, typically in the NFL. So he's going to have to adjust too. And so I think that it's a situation where LaFleur is going to have to come in and look at, look at the strengths of the offensive personnel and figure out exactly how to use them to get the Rams to improve. Um, and I do think sincerely, the offensive line was a problem for y'all last year. And, you know, they've, made at least the one move um Whitworth is that who they got from Yeah Cincinnati? and John Sullivan they claimed him from the Vikings That's right the center yep I remember that they had met with him um and so they did take some steps toward correcting that it's not the best year to draft offensive linemen but I think they're going to have to anyway so hopefully you'll see some improvement there and that's going to sort of give them uh just a, a good start in terms of overhauling the offense but that's really what's going to have to happen so i know you mentioned like matt lafleur is sort of like a teacher like that's what he is just mm -hmm. as a person but like is he a coach who um brings more to the table you know there's a lot of i think there's a lot of times where there's a you know you have a coach who's good at one thing but maybe not as good as the other like outside of just being a good teacher what else what else is that he brings to the table just as a coach you know, and this is kind of the interesting thing, I think, whenever you have a position coach who takes that step to become a coordinator, because it's a completely new scenario. And so I know what he was like as a quarterback's coach, but he was not somebody who was kind of, you know, in the spotlight. I think that one of the things that I can really point to with LaFleur is if you look at Matt Ryan's development from 2015 to 2016, where he went from one of the worst seasons of his career 
Um, I mean, I think he threw 21 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. It was a terrible season, 2015. And then last year, he was league MVP and offensive player of the year. And Matt LaFleur working with him to correct the issues that caused his down year in 2015 was a big part of that. So I think that he does a good job of diagnosing issues. And he's also a good communicator in terms of helping the player understand how to correct those issues. So I'd say that that's probably one of the bigger things. But one of the challenges with kind of assessing when a position coach goes into a coordinator role is that it's a completely different scenario. I mean, he's going to have to manage so many more aspects of the game. And so it's going to be, it's actually going to be really interesting to see how he manages that. You know, you actually just kind of led right into, you touched on it a little bit what my next question was going to be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if he, if he deserves any credit, which I think you just kind of already said he does, um, how much uh, uh, any credit other than Kyle Shanahan, how much credit should it be for Matt Ryan sort of turning a corner? Not that, like, I know that you mentioned the, you know, him having, you know, all, all, just a flat out all season in 2015 but Mm -hmm. what he did last year was unlike anything he's ever done you know he was phenomenal you know so how much that really goes to uh matt lafleur because you know i think the general sense you know just just the general public is oh kyle shanahan came in and just turned matt turned matt right around turned his office around turned everything around how much of that do you think that really deserve uh, matt lafleur really actually deserves I think that there are two things at play in Ryan's turnaround. Um, The first thing, you know, in terms of Kyle Shanahan would be Shanahan put the offense in positions to succeed. And so I think one of the things that I can really say truthfully about Shanahan is that except for in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, listen, I've got, I've got plenty of Super Bowl jokes myself, so it's fine. (laughs) We can can joke about it. I'm, that's how I cope. That's how I cope with my grief. Anyway. Can I um, tell you the biggest joke of all? What's that? The Rams. I turned the game off. Oh my god! Because I thought it was over, and walked away and played video games with my roommate, only to come back and find out that it was the first Super Bowl in history to go to overtime. Yep. All my coworkers, because I was at SB Nation's offices in DC, and all my coworkers kept telling me, and then my coworker Harry were both Falcons fans. And they were like, they've got this. You guys look so nervous. And we're like, have you ever watched the Falcons? Like, let us be stressed about this. This is far from over. And then we were, of course, correct. And they were wrong. So anyway, um, but typically, <laughs> typically Kyle Shanahan did a very good job, I think, of, of reading what the defense was giving to the Falcons and then adjusting. He, he adjusts very quickly. I think that's a real strength of his. So I think that that was certainly part of it was just the way that Kyle Shanahan managed games and put the offense in positions to succeed. But the other part, and I think that this is the underrated part is LaFleur. And I think that that's helping Ryan correct his mechanics. Like when they moved to that zone blocking scheme, it was completely different situation for him in terms of timing. And so I think that just helping Ryan um, correct his timing, correct his footwork, you know, all of those kind of basic fundamental things that Ryan's been doing since he was a child. But, you know, if you change it up even a little bit, that's a huge adjustment for a pro player. So those things were all the floor. And again, I just think that he does a really good job of diagnosing issues with technique and then communicating those in a way that a player understands how to make corrections. And I think that that's, um, that's a really fundamentally important part. You know, you think about, I think high school coaches being able to teach technique 
it's just as important at the pro level. And I think that it's a really underrated part of a pro coach's responsibility. And I think that not every pro coach does it well. Because past the point, you just kind of assume that guys have been doing this stuff since they were children. They understand technique. But really, it's something that needs to continually be refined. So I think that that's one thing that LaFleur did very well with Matt Ryan. You know, piggybacking off of Myson's question, in, in I know you're not a Rams expert, but you are very familiar with how LaFleur operates on a personal level, how he deals with staff and when it comes to intrapersonal relationships. There's been some debate among Rams fans whether or not McVay is going to call the plays or if he's truly going to let LaFleur do his thing or if there's going to be a combination of the two of them. Personally, I feel like McVay coming in and already wanting to hire guys like Anthony Lynn and Wade Phillips suggests to me that he knows he needs strong coordinators and to rely on them to do their job. Now, he Mm -hmm. may have ended up with Matt LaFleur, but he was just another hot name, and you don't bring in guys like that unless you want to help them reach the next stage of their career. So I'm not as worried about this. Am am I in the right? Or are all these people that are grimacing and worrying that there's going to be an internal power struggle, are they going to end up being right? Well, here's uh, one thing that I will say. I think that it's very smart for any young coach, any first-time head coach, to bring in established coaches on the other side of the ball. And I think that he was very intelligent to do that with the defensive coaches. I think that was very smart. Um, As far as LaFleur, like, he's not a very aggressive or fiery guy. He's not a guy who's going to be, you know, he's not somebody who, like, seeks out conflict or anything. So I think that he's somebody who would do what McVeigh wants. I think that if McVeigh wants to call the plays, I think he would go along with that. I think that if McVeigh wants him to call the plays, he'd go along with that. So I don't think that it will be an internal power struggle. I also think that he would be fine with either option. Which, I, I, which, I mean, just kind of like, Piggy, if I'm putting a gun to your head real quick, which do you think will end up happening? You think McVeigh hire, and this is obviously speculation. I mean, they acknowledge that this is purely speculation on, on, on your end, but if, if you had your best educated guess, do you do you think McVeigh is going to defer uh, or do you think he's going to want to hang on to that for himself? Because I'm of the same mindset you are. Would you hire established coaches like that and you talk about knowing what you don't know? That's mm-hmm. the right way to approach it if you're a first-time head coach. That's the yeah. exact right way to approach it. I mean, I'm not saying he'll succeed, but it won't be because he didn't prepare properly. Right. And um, so, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that if I had to guess, I would say I would expect McVeigh to start out calling the plays. You know, I think that that's something that he I think that's something that he'll try to hold on to. I don't I don't like that in a head coach. I mean, I would rather not have a head coach calling the plays unless it's a situation where like they have to fire the coordinator midseason or something and there's really no choice. I think that as a head coach, you have to have a high-level view of everything that's happening. And I think that trying to be focused on calling the plays just detracts too much of that attention. Um, so I don't think that it's a good idea, but I think that that's probably what he's going to do. And I think that he may realize very quickly, he seems like a smart guy, <laughs> that it's a bad idea. And then, and then what, did be before, what did I say on our phone call before the show, Myson? What did I say on our phone call? I said if he does do it and the Rams start out like 0-4 or something, I bet you the Flores call him plays real quick. Yep, <laughs> that, that would be my guess. 
Uh, all right, so my, my, my second question for you, and I'm shifting gear, gears here. I know I kind of piggybacked off that one, but you talked about Ryan and mechanics, which sort of begs the question. When you look at Jared Goff, when you look at the NFL Jared Goff, what do you think the first thing that, that LaFleur is going to get in there and say, this has to stop, you do this well? Oh, gosh, there's just so much. It's so difficult for air raid quarterbacks to transition to the NFL. And, you know, I think that he just has so much in terms of things that he needs to adapt to. Um, I know that he had kind of a difficult time picking up the offense. um, And I think that they'll probably adjust the offense to be easier for him this year, which will be smart. If he can do fewer things but do them well, you know, master them, I think that they'll be in a much better position. But, yeah, I mean, there's just – there's just so much. I mean, it's just such a such a huge gap from his college game to where he needs to be going into the season. So I, I don't even know where. No, where to, to begin. Start with that. Yeah, That's... unfortunately, no. No, that's fine. I mean, you're you're preaching to the converted here, so uh, <laughs> I, you're not you're not going to get too many people that are like. Actually, I think so. <laughs> no, we're in agreement. Bison, what you got, man? Oh, please don't get Josh started on, on Jerry Goff. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'm probably going to get him started on Jerry Goff now that I think about it because. My next question is about Jared Goff. <laughs> so, so, I mean, we it's, it's been pretty well documented at this point, you know, what type of season he had. There's no reason for me to go into detail because we all know it was, it was a pretty bad, you know, first uh, seven games to play. Um, however, you know, when you look at just all the things that he does need to work on, you know, picking up the blitz or being able to identify the blitz and, you know, getting rid of the ball and making the quick decisions, like you know, all those things. What is it that Jared Goff, you know, what should we expect Jared Goff to learn from Matt LaFleur? Like what can he bring to make Jared Goff a better player? You know, that's actually an area where Ryan really struggled too. And, um, you know, he was taking a ton of sacks there for a while when Atlanta's offensive line was bad. Then they, uh, he was especially getting like pressure up the middle and he didn't, I, I mean, it, I don't know if, if the pressure was just coming so fast or if he wasn't picking it up or what it was. But um, anyway, that's an area where he really improved. Part of that was, of course, bringing in Alex Mack. That really shored up the line. Um, So, I mean, that made a big difference. But, you know, Los Angeles is taking those same steps to give Goff a better line to play behind. So hopefully with a stronger line and with more consistent play from the offensive line, That'll make it easier for Goff to work on that time. And the thing is, his his rookie season was just such a catastrophe in every way. Not his fault. It's because, you know, he didn't pick up the offense quickly enough. Then Fisher wouldn't play him. Kept trotting Keenum out there. Keenum was terrible. And then Goff came in. Fans were already mad. Like, everything was already terrible. The offensive line was bad. I think I can't remember how many sacks he took in the games he started. Like, it was like an uh, average, uh, like four sacks a game. <laughs> like twenty six. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like it was. Yeah, so it was an average of like, of like almost like four sacks a game or something. Like it was crazy how much he was getting sacked. And really, as a young player, when you're coming in and you're under that much pressure all the time, it's really hard to learn on the fly. And those are the kind of things like you really, as far as the blitz, you develop that timing and that understanding in game situations. It's really hard to do that in practice. And so I do think that with a better line, he'll be able to settle in more and adjust to that more. But that is something that LaFleur helped Ryan with a great deal, too. So that's something else that Rams fans should be encouraged by. 
So usually um, when there's position coaches, they develop some sort of reputation for certain things that really help lead to their promotions to coordinator, no matter what it may be. You know, um, I know, for example, one thing that you mentioned is that he's he's a good, really good teacher. But mm-hmm. what type of uh, what type of teacher is he? You know, you have, for example, uh, a coach who just recently left the Ramsville to Greg Williams. He's the cursor. <laughs> you know, he's yelling yes. and cursing from, from five fields away. You hear him yelling and cursing. But players, players get it. They understand him. He gets the point off, and he's known around the league as a really, really good coach. You know, so what type of reputation is it that Matt LaFleur has? He's kind of a hands-on teacher. One of the things that stands out with Falcons coaches across the board is that when they're war- when players are warming up before practice, like all these coaches will jump in the line and like go through drills with them. If if they're working on like dropbacks and timing, Lafleur's out there doing it with them and showing them exactly what he expects from them. So he's more of he's somebody who teaches by example. Like he is, um, I guess, like if especially if players are kinesthetic learners, <laughs> like that's kinesthetic, that's like, kinesthetic yeah. visual. Yeah, and so that's that's how he teaches. Like my parents are both teachers, so I just got super nerdy uh, ah. explaining it. But <laughs> but that's yeah. So that's I guess his style of teaching is you know kinesthetic visual. That's a very good way to say it. So um, and he's somebody who will explain it too. But he's also like he'll get in there and demonstrate what he expects them to do, and you know. So he's very hands on, and I think that that especially with young players can be very helpful. Oh, is it me? I thought it was still my son. My bad. Um, <laughs> no, you know, one of the things that I agree with you about, now I still think that golf, people people think I'm down on golf. Really what it is is that I think he's a year behind the eight ball already because mm-hmm. of Fisher's offense. I think he's got that going against him. And traditionally a lost year in the NFL, you name dudes that lost a year, and more often than not they tend to go the, the other way not the way that, that, that you want them to go. Sure. Um, but Goff is young enough, malleable enough, that you'd like to think, okay, a guy like McVeigh could come in and connect with him right away. Same thing with LaFleur. Come in, connect with him, rebuild his self-esteem, put instill some faith in him that unlike the other offense, this one is going to be designed to make him su- succeed, mm-hmm. help him succeed. But... I think when you look at him coming out of college from the Bear Raid system, I cover USC, Mm -hmm. um, familiar with Goff, you just look across the board, and the only Air Raid quarterback that I can even think of that's having some success, actually, I can't think of any. Um, (laughs) It it just doesn't happen in the NFL. It just does not. no, it, the most it, it, the most successful quarterback to come from that type of offense, oddly enough, was Case Keenum. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let that soak in. <laughs> and, and and you know that's why I look at a guy like Mahomes that people are hyping, which I'm veering a little, but we do that on this podcast. And I'm like, played in an air raid system. I don't care if he throws the ball at sixty miles an hour. He played in an air raid system. Stay away. Yeah, like, he's very raw, too. He is very raw, so he's I mean, got kind of a long yes. way to go. And that's kind of how I look at Jared Goff, because even though he came back and he stayed and he he tried to help Cal, he gave it another run, 
even during that year, when he came up against the SCs, the Stanfords, the Utahs, it was more of what we saw in the NFL. He mm-hmm. couldn't recognize blitzes. He wasn't able to identify, uh, you know, uh, 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 coverages. He would stare down DBs beforehand delivering the ball to them. And it, it's, <laughs> it's, if that sounds familiar, it's because you watched it all last year. And, and I'm just... I guess my question is this, like, if I want this guy to succeed, like, but how far is this journey from somebody who is an unobjective, you know, or not unobjective, but an objective, unaffiliated observer who gets to look at this thing from a distance and not care whether the Rams win or lose games? Well, I think that the key here is that at least the Rams, I think, have done what they can to put him in a position to succeed. I think that that's what drove the head coach hire. I think that's certainly what drove the decision to hire a quarterback's coach as the offensive coordinator. Um, so at least now they're doing those things. <laughs> they certainly didn't for his rookie season. But the reality is they invest. I mean, they traded up to get him. They invested so much into this first overall pick. And so I would say, you know, you got to give him the full four years of the rookie contract and then decide if you want to pick up his option or not. I mean, I, I think that they have to give him that amount of time. Um, it's just too big of an investment to yeah. not do that. And so I think that how long will it take? It's impossible to know. We'll have a much better idea of that. I think, you know, week one, week two, um, preseason doesn't really count because those are not real games. But yeah, week one, week two, I think that we'll have a much better idea of like how he's developed in terms of his timing, his anticipa- his anticipation, things like that. But um I think that no matter what, the Rams are in a position where they have to give him, you know, the next three years to really make it or break it. And um, then, you know, obviously at that point they have the choice to pick up his option or not. But um, I think that they have to see his rookie contract through because they just have invested too much to get this player. Okay, so if if we're assuming that they're going to invest the full years, obviously that means the next logical step would be to surround him with talent to make him successful. The acquisition of Robert Woods, uh, debatable. Uh, I, I think the, the acquisition was fine. It was the $32 million that I think was a little, <laughs> a little egregious, but I think as I saw somebody tweeted and forgive me because I don't know who it is, but I'm at least trying to give credit. It was not my tweet. But the the general gist of the tweet was franchise players don't hit the free agency market. And when they do, there's only one or two teams who are ever in play for them. See Peyton Manning. So guys like Robert Woods, who are like B-plus players, they get A-plus money because that's the best that you're going to get outside of drafting talent. So, looking at number 37, there's been so many different ways that that people have hacked out this draft and said, okay, the Rams should, you mentioned the offensive line. I think that because it's going to be a wide receiver and cornerback-heavy draft, that we talked about this on the last podcast, Myson brought it up, there's going to be a spillover of quality offensive linemen into the second round. Possibly a guy like Forrest Lamp, who in other seasons might be a top 10 pick. So, it's like Dan Hatman was saying, the value of a guy like Forrest Lamp versus reaching for a guy like Zay Jones, how would you approach it? Would you fill the offensive line? Would you try and move up? There's been talk about them, if, if Corey Davis is there at the later end of the first round, moving into the first round to grab him. I mean, where mm-hmm. do you come down on any of these? 
Listen, I think that the key thing that you have to do to let any quarterback succeed is give him a solid line to work behind. Because if you don't do that, it's all for nothing. If he doesn't have time to get the ball to a dynamic playmaker that you drafted, then it doesn't matter. And so if Lamp is there, if Lamp is there at 37, uh, Lamp is my favorite offensive lineman in the draft. If Lamp is there at 37, they should take him. Build that line. Games are won and lost at the line of scrimmage. You know, you have Todd Gurley, who was incredible at Georgia. He couldn't do anything last year because of this. I think that it was mostly because the offensive line. I know he's not the best fit in this offense, but I think he can adapt to that. Um, And so give him a better line so that you're not wasting him. Give Goff a better line so that he has time to actually make his reads and get the ball out of his hands. I mean, to me, and I'm a, I'm a huge offensive line nerd, so that's like I'm usually a little bit biased in that direction. But I really feel like that is where games are won <laughs> and lost. And, you know, I, that would be my choice, you know, always to start with building. I would build a team always from the lines out. Well, you see, so, on this on this show, we have an issue of uh, stealing each other's questions, you know, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) Josh just, he just completely just ripped me off there, like taking candy from a baby, but it's okay. You know, I was just gonna, I was gonna steer us into some draft talk and, you know, ask us, you know, you know, what, you know, what, what what the Rams should be aiming for if they're going to make golf a better player. But you know what? He said that he just reworded it. So I'm going to ask a different question. <laughs> Thank you very okay. much, Josh. <laughs> You're welcome, man. I, I, I do this. I know you, you, you always got my back. No problems. <laughs> so, okay. So if the Rams are um, going to make golf a better player, you know, we'll stick with that theme. And you're looking at the draft. The Rams are really positioned to lose a lot of players on defense uh, next year. Um, I don't think Alec Ogletree is going anywhere, but I have to mention him because he's a part of this group. And uh, there's Alec Ogletree, Tremaine Johnson, LaMarcus Joyner, Mo Alexander, uh, EJ Gaines, and Cody Davis all are on the final year of their contracts. Um, There's no way they're going to be able to re-sign them all. No. With the, when you have a young quarterback, everyone talks about a few things, one being the line, as you just mentioned, another being the run game, and then obviously the defense. Everyone always mm-hmm. says those are the three things you really want your your uh, quarterback to lean on early on as he adapts and gets used to the NFL and learns. Um, considering that the defense isn't as deep as it was, the, the bread and butter of this defensive unit for years has been the defensive line, but it's, it's really, really just kind of been – robbed of all of the resources in recent years, whether through injury, players getting older, released, traded, cut, whatever it may be. Um, the defensive line isn't what it was. You still have Aaron Donald, but as as we as we've seen, Aaron Donald looked like just an above average player in some games because teams were able to triple team him because they didn't have the mm-hmm. wear. <laughs> now that shows how good he is that when you get triple team you're above average. <laughs> but, <laughs> True. But <laughs> So would it be would it be a complete shock if the Rams said, "Hey, you know, we have to uh, we have to give our quarterback an opportunity by giving him a defense," and they went defense in the draft? Uh, would that be a complete shocker? No, I mean that wouldn't be a complete shocker. And when you look at how lopsided this draft is in terms of defensive talent compared to offensive playmakers, I think that it would be a completely reasonable approach. Um, and you're exactly right. You know, if you can get a defense that gets the other offense off the field, 
you know, that's one of the best weapons that a young quarterback can have because if the other offense isn't out there, they're not scoring. And so it just does make it a lot easier for your offense. So yeah, no, especially with the depth of talent at so many positions. And like you mentioned, Tremaine Johnson, um, he is, wait, that's his name, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I was just, (laughs) if I'm I'm talking about teams other than the Falcons, I'm not always a hundred percent percent sure (laughs) that I have the right name. Um, but anyway, like this is such a great draft for secondary players in general. And so I think that they could really, you know, shore that up, um, have some young, cheap players to build around on that side of the ball. So just with how lopsided this draft is in terms of defensive talent compared to the offense. Yeah. I think that you're getting better players, you know, you're getting better players um, even in later rounds than you would get in earlier rounds in other years, just because of how deep this draft is on defense. So I think that that would be a perfectly reasonable approach. Okay, so you you I'm gonna I'm really gonna put you on the spot now. So right. <laughs> you said that Forrest Lemp is your favorite player uh, or your favorite lineman in this draft. But mm-hmm. outside of the line, if you could take any player, if, if you had the choice of between Forrest Lemp and someone else, you could take anyone over him. Who would it be? Any any player in the entire draft. Yeah, who would it be over Forrest Lemp? It'd be Miles Garrett. Ah. Uh. <laughs> I would take Miles Garrett. Why? <laughs> because I watched this Falcons team not be able to rush the passer for years and years and years and years and years. And he can get after the passer. And I think that, you know, when you can impact the opposing quarterback, when you can get him off his spot and make him uncomfortable, that's how you win games. Um, that's certain, the Falcons did that this year. That was a big part of their turnaround. So, yeah, I think that Garrett is Garrett is that guy. And so that that would that would be my choice. <laughs> if I could have any player in the whole draft, except for Forrest Lamp, I'm definitely going Miles Garrett. <laughs> She's staying in the trenches, Josh. <laughs> I, I like am. it. I like yeah. it though. But you know, looking at what the Rams have, let's say Lamp's gone. Um, say there's a team with intelligence that recognizes the value of that man and grabs him well before well before the Rams can get their mitts on him. It, it might be Atlanta at 31 if he falls that far because they need a guard. And see, and that's where I'm wondering if Les Snead doesn't get a little like, ooh, we know that they... Because he, he, he... Meissen brings this up every podcast, but Les Snead is a little ADD. He doesn't like to say <laughs> He does not. He's up, he's down, he goes up, he goes down. I mean, you look at what he spent on golf. I mean, most people were like, I'm sorry, the Rams traded what? But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, expertly and deftly got that deal done. Uh, the Titans. How, how, many, how, many, how many GMs can say that they've moved up and down in the same round? <laughs> 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 Leslie did that in the first round. <laughs> he went up. And went down. <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> That's something. <laughs> but but let's say that Lamp's gone. What type of player do you think can step in and make an immediate impact that would be there in that 37 range? Let's say even 25. Let's say the Rams maybe move up. What mm-hmm. player would inspire you? Because not everybody's high on Corey Davis. I don't know if you're one of those people, but you know, most people I talk to are pretty unanimous in the fact that he is the premier number one wideout. If you want a number one target, he is the most NFL ready. But 
as always, it's the small school thing. It's the same thing that had me outside of Derek Carr's house for two days instead of one because, you know, <laughs> only the Raiders and the Vikings decided they were going to take him seriously. Um, and I almost ran over North Turner, which is an entirely <laughs> different story. Yeah, I was pulling into the spot, didn't notice Norv was there, and had to slam on the brake real quick. So, um, not proud of that. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> That would have been a story. Uh, well, who do you think, who who inspires you? I'll leave it there. I have to say, I actually am one of those people who really likes Corey Davis. And I think that he would be available there. Um, I'm not worried about the small school thing because he does he does have the prototypical body type. To, he's, you know, a bigger bodied receiver. I think that he would, um, I think that he would be a great target for Goff because of that. You know, he's not. He's, he's a tough receiver, and I think that Goff may need that, somebody who can make the tough contested catches. He's big enough to get that done. So that's what, I mean, if he were available, I would go with him. He reminds me of a more polished Devontae Adams. When Devontae yeah. Adams ran through his pro day, you could see the build on him, his hand size, the way he attacked the football at its height, and just you could hear him just that clasp of the ball meeting his hand just authoritatively. But, Corey Davis, to me, seems a bit more polished as a route runner, able to get separation a bit more than Devontae Adams, didn't get frustrated when teams doubled him. So yeah. I kind of look at him in that mold. Um, all right, so moving on from Corey Davis, I'll, I'll make this a two-parter. If he's not there, who's who's your backup plan? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Lamp and Davis are gone. I'm making this really hard for you. Well, is Dan Feeney still on the board? Because I guess that'd be my second. That'd be my second choice at guard. Fair enough. So yeah, I mean, I'd probably go with Dan Feeney in that case. I feel like Lion is such a huge need for y'all. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel I'll that agree. way. I kind of feel that way uh, about the Rams. And, and after Lamp and Feeney, there's a huge drop off as far as interior linemen in terms of talent. And so beyond Lamp and Feeney, you're getting a guy who's really more of a developmental guy. And I don't think the Rams have time for those shenanigans. The, the thing I like about Feeney is that Indiana, for, for whatever they don't do, they know how to run the ball really well. They know how oh, to yeah. be the line of scrimmage. They know how to run it down teams' throats. And the Rams need somebody who can get off the ball and be physical, set the tone for the offensive line. I think you're right. Acquiring Whitworth, that was huge. It, mm -hmm. Bison and I honestly would have given this offseason maybe a B-plus or an A-minus, depending on who you're talking to, if the Rams had been able to get Groy from Buffalo. If they'd been able to pry Groy from Buffalo, then their offseason free agency, I think, would have been phenomenal for, for what was out there. But... Sullivan's a nice, if he can stay healthy, um, Whitworth, you're taking him off the team and the offensive line coach. You know, I was talking to Joe Goodberry, you know, he, his play wasn't extraordinary and un, until they, they brought in a, a new offensive line coach. And then obviously he started making pro bowls, but there's, there's, he has some reservations about whether Whitworth will be able to replicate his play in Los Angeles, but it's there. So I, I don't know. I feel like Feeney would fit in because he, I don't know, he's aggressive. He's everything that the Rams are not right now. 
Right. Yeah. And I think that that's a very good point to your point about Indiana really knowing how to run the ball. I do think that he would be good for Gurley, but you know, Tevin Coleman, Atlanta's running back. Um, I was talking to him about how he had developed as a receiver early last season. It was probably after the Falcons win in Denver, like around week five, um, because he was the leading receiver that game and he couldn't catch a thing you know, the year before. And I was like, so what's the deal? Like, why, why are you such a good receiver now? And he's like, well, as you know, I went to Indiana. We did not throw the ball there. (laughs) He had to learn how to run routes and everything. (laughs) He didn't have any idea when he got to the pros, like how to be a receiver. So yeah, you don't throw the ball in the big 10, you know, it's not what you do. You don't, you don't. So anyway, I just, I always enjoyed that story, but yeah, they do not, they do not throw the ball and he would certainly be a good road grader for, Girly, I think that would help. You know, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna backtrack it a little bit, just a little bit, because we talked about my personal uh, favorite player in the draft, uh, Corey Davis. You know, well, you guys talked about him. I'm just gonna bring him back up. But um, you know, I personally, when I um, when scouting him, he really, really reminded me of Julio Jones. Oddly enough when he was coming out of Alabama, just the similarities in their college game and just their college mm-hmm. tape overall. Um, I think that had he been someone, you know, Julio was uh, talked about a lot coming out, but the player that uh, that everyone looked at at receiver position saying he's unquestionably the top receiver in this draft class, AJ Green, it's because of the, the uh, his route running ability. You know, when he was coming out, that was the big, the big thing it was like, oh man, this guy can run routes better than anyone. And then Julio goes to the combine before the combine. Everyone was saying, oh, he might fall to the Rams at 14. <laughs> you know, that's oh what my the gosh. Was. <laughs> and then, then he goes to the combine and he just absolutely blows it up. And no one knew that he was that big of a freak. Like you, you knew he was athletic, but you didn't know he was that. And, he had a stress and, fracture in his foot, too. At yeah, the you, he did all that with a stress you know, fracture so, in his foot. It, so it took it took his stock to another level, and I honestly believe that that kind of would have been who or not uh, Julio, but Corey Davis. You know, if Corey Davis is uh, able to work out, you know, if not for you know breaking his ankle, you know, if he's mm-hmm. able to work out, because when you watch his film, you see this explosive, explosive athlete that's just really, really hard to contain. If you have a player like that, you know, and with all the talk that we, you know, we've done about fixing the offensive line. If you have a player that's really explosive and um, I've, I've said this kind of all off season that I think the, the Rams are really looking for some explosive talent. And then Les Snead and uh, Sean McVay kind of confirmed it in their first kind of press conference this week that they, you know, they flat out said we want explosive players. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they said they have a sign in their meeting room that says explosive, like that's their focus. You know, if you have a player that's you know, like a Corey Davis, that's really explosive or even a John Ross who may fall due to injury concerns, do you take him over that lineman? You know, do you make that special consideration or do you stick to the plan? You know, I think that you just have to kind of balance it. I mean, it just depends on, I guess I don't really know. Okay, let me back up. So when the Falcons brought in Alex Mack, just giving the team an anchor at center improved line play across the board. So maybe they feel like by bringing in Sullivan that guard play will be better, like whoever they have on the roster. And then with Whitworth on one side, you know, it's just a much stronger line even with those two additions. Um, So if they feel confident enough that those two upgrades can solidify the line sufficiently, then yeah. I mean, then, yeah, I think that you do go with the playmaker because if you can get a guy 
like Corey Davis at 37 um, or even trading up a little bit, but not giving up too much because they really don't have that much to work with in terms of draft capital this year. Um, You know, if you can get a guy late first round and, you know, or maybe even at 37, then yeah, I mean, if you can get a playmaker that you think can be a difference maker for your young quarterback, then yes, I think you have to do that. Okay, so I'm glad you said that because here's my next question. Now this one is a little <laughs> more this one is a little more controversial, but um he is an explosive player. I personally uh I think he is a faster, a much, much, much faster version of David Johnson, and that is Joe Mixon. Mm-hmm. Um Joe Mixon could possibly be the best back in this draft. Better than Leonard Fortnite, better than Christian McCaffrey, better to die. He could very well be the best running back in this draft and ultimately could be one of the better players in the entire draft, regardless of position. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> you know, it's already it's well documented. We all know what happened. And, you know, yes. the, footage is, the footage is definitely uh, bone chilling. You know, it's 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 it's, um, it's pretty intense. However, I think I find it hard to see this thing because there's been so much time, you know, since the video came out. NFL teams have obviously done their homework. At this point, they're done with it. It's a closed case. They know what they need to know, whether they want them or not. You know, they've already made the decision. He's going to get drafted. The question is, when you're a team like the Rams and you're looking at it and you're saying, um, you know, we want more explosive players on this team, you know, and I am, for one, of the mindset that if he's there in the third or fourth round, they should definitely take him. You know, because mm-hmm. what what type of what type for two reasons. One, you know, you have you're creating a two headed monster in the backfield that absolutely no one will want a part of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's and true. Two, yeah. And two, when you create that monster, you're going to give your quarterback so much breathing room. You know, you're going to give him a lot of help by having teams so focused on these two backs, both of which are six one and 230 and run four four five or less you know so you know you, you have these you have these monsters back there that's going to really help out your quarterback who who you really need to help you know you have to give him more to work with you have to put more around him would you be uh would you be against the idea of drafting a joe mixon in the third round because this is something that i can tell you i've brought up a million times it really uh and i can see is is it's really kind of got the fan base split. You see a lot of people that's like, I'd take them. And you see a lot of people that's like, no. Would you take a Joe Mixon in the third round? So I guess my thing with Joe Mixon is obviously, like you said, we all know what he did. We all saw the video. I wish I hadn't seen the video, but I did. And, um, but it was 2014. Um, and so past the point, I think that you have to be realistic about the fact that people shouldn't have to pay for their mistakes forever. Um, But then on the other hand, this is not like some youthful indiscretion. Like this is not this kid got, you know, got in trouble for underage drinking or something like this. He literally knocked a woman out like on camera. It was it was very graphic. And so I don't know. His talent is considerable and he definitely is, you know, first round caliber talent. If he falls into the third I'll be shocked, first of all, if he makes it past the second. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets drafted in the late first um, just because of his talent. But, um, yeah, I mean, if he's there in the third, I think that most teams would have a hard time saying, you know, we got to pass. Some teams will, but it's a PR issue because the reality is the NFL is a business. If this is a guy who can come in and make your offense better and, um, 
you know, if teams pass, I think it's primarily for PR. I think that most people would not be passing because of some kind of, you know, philosophical issue or, you know, moral ground. I think that it would be because, you know, fans wouldn't like it and they would get a lot of backlash. So I agree 100%. I mean, I've I've said this word for word, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I think the thing with me that makes me, you know, a little more comfortable with the pick, you know, and like you said, it was 2014, but he doesn't really, he doesn't really have anything on his record before or after that, you know? Right. And, and, and my, and the thing that I keep bringing up is Dalvin cook is not really being dropped out of the first round. And Dalvin cook is, he's hit, he's hit a woman. He's been arrested for being drunk. He's been arrested for stealing. He's he has a long rap sheet dating back to high school on to up until last year. I would <laughs> not. Know, he, I would not want my team to draft Alvin Cook. There was an animal cruelty thing in there. Like I just no, thank you. I would definitely pass on him. Like you said, Mixon. It's the one incident, um, and it was 2014. He was suspended for a year. He did. You know, he was convicted. He did have consequent legal consequences, and he served those and. You know, uh, this this all goes back to the video. There's not video of mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook doing these things, and there is video of Joe Mixon doing this, and so past the point. And you know, again, it's something that he did, and the consequences are real, and that's just part of that decision for him. But you know, I don't know. I mean, it eventually people need to move past it, and the reality is, some team is going to draft him, and um, right. like Leo Collins. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that yeah, was a little that, different. You know, Jack <laughs> that was like that was the day that was the day of the draft. The news yeah, broke, and that was he possibly was in had something to do with a murder. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. That's, that there was, was no time to do homework. Teams was like, "Well, look, we haven't done homework. We're not touching this kid." You know, no, so that was a little I'm different. So, I'm sorry, a murder? Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> like, I mean. I, it's it's still crazy to me that Dallas was a like that offensive line is just fifty million times like now you got Ty, Tyron Smith, who is probably the best left tackle in the game at this point. You uh, see what what, and 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 now you're adding Lael Collins. I mean that line is just it, it's not a wonder Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott did well. Like you you could put me behind that line, and I'm pretty sure I could at least run for 500 even with my bad back. Um, but uh, we won't we won't keep you here for too much longer. I did want to ask you though because I feel like it's easy for men to sit and talk about Joe Mixon. But as a woman, I feel like there are, are different things at play. There, there's, there's an emotional attachment to this because every woman realizes it could be them. It could be someone they know. It has been them. It has been someone they know. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just it's, it's a lived, learned, terrifyingly real experience. And while you're right, this is, seems to be the only thing that, that Joe Mixon has done. There was a report you know, questionable about something he did as a youth, but nothing really came of that. Mm-hmm. How, how do you, how do you come around on him? Like you personally, like, how do you approach that? Like, let's just say Joe Mixon were to end up on the Falcons, like setting aside the talent, like how, how does that affect you as a woman? 
Well, I will, I will give you a specific example of when I had to actually deal with this. A few years ago, the Falcons drafted Prince Shembo out of Notre Dame, and Shembo had been accused of sexual assault, and then the woman who accused him um, ended up committing suicide. It was a situation where Notre Dame kind of gave her the runaround. She had a very difficult time pressing charges and getting justice. Oh, and that's the Seabird, right? Seabird? Yes, yes, uh-huh. And so it was... Um, it was Sorry, I just wanted where, to remember her name. Yes, and and I, yeah, and and we should. And um, so anyway, they drafted him, and I was very against the pick. And this came on the heels of years of the Falcons just drafting choir boys, you know, guys with no off-the-field incidents. And for me, it was difficult because sexual assault is something that I have very strong feelings against. And um, it was frustrating to me because, you know, I I wrote about it because my the, the guys at the Falcoholic and I agreed that, it was something that we should not shy away from that. This is, you know, what's connected to this player and people should know it. And the comments were just a train wreck. And I was so thankful that like the guys that I write with were very supportive. And then my story was well-researched. I think it was very balanced. Um, but uh, anyway, people were like, well, we need some tough guys. And I'm like, okay, but guys who are accused, like being accused of sexual assault doesn't make you tough. Like, I don't get that. Um, I don't get that perspective. So, I think that that's the hardest thing for me is that, you know, I'll, no matter what, like in this field, I'm interacting with a lot of men. And I think that there sometimes is a little bit of a disconnect, not always, um, by far, not always, but, you know, sometimes a little bit of a disconnect as far as how women perceive these issues differently. Um, and so, yeah, but as far as dealing with the player himself, I actually had a very good professional relationship with Shimbo when he was still here. Um, you know, I treated him like I treated every other player. I was very professional to him, and he treated me like he treated every other member of the media. And so I had a very good relationship with him. And then he got arrested for, um, oh, gosh, I don't even want to talk about it. He got arrested yeah, for killing let's... his girlfriend's dog. And so then he got kicked off the team. And <laughs> So then I didn't have to worry about talking to him anymore. But anyway, while he was there, I had a very good professional relationship with him. And I think that that's what I would do with Joe Mixon or anybody else who had any kind of sketchy thing like that in their past. I mean, just treat them like every other player because I'm there to do a job. I'm not there to like, you know, make them pay Judge for them. their mistakes or right. anything. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> that's, I don't really have time for all that. So <laughs> you're not, you're not Judge Dredd. You gave up. Put up, put up yeah, correct. <laughs> that's not me. Um, I, I appreciate your candor on that. I just, you know, I'm, I'm always curious because we gloss over these issues and you're right. When, when, when men write about it, they talk about it in terms of a football player. And it's like, well, no, there's a person attached to this and you can't separate the person from the football player. They're one and the same. Mm -hmm. If a person has a predilection toward violence or, or violence towards women, it, it's going to rear its head again. Like, you know, rare is the man who, who, you know, learns his lesson. It, it, it unfortunately seems to be a societal plague that, that, like you said, I don't understand why any man feels power after hitting a woman. Uh, ironically enough, I have actually been the victim of domestic violence on my 25th birthday. As oh, was. my gosh. Yes. Yep. She got arrested slugging me in a bar because oh I, just, yeah, I didn't want to take a shot and she felt I was being a pussy. Oh, well, that is, um, and you know, that's something that comes up a lot too. And I think that that's an area where women can be more sensitive because it's, you know, predominantly women who are the victims of, uh, 
domestic violence or intimate partner violence, but um, it happens to men too. You know, it happens to everybody. So oh, yeah, yeah. Not 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 claiming. Hey, it happens to us. It's, I find it weird that I'm you know one of them. I mean, I know it is a problem, but it is like one as you said that is predominantly geared more toward women than men. But yeah, I. I've always said that my life is like a comic book. Like stuff happens to me, doesn't happen to other people. And I have stories that, that, that I could share for days and be like, yeah. My fraternity brother once said to me, I was driving home and, and, and I was turning down the, uh, the street right before my house and my transmission blew and my axle dropped. Oh my had, gosh. Yeah, right. I had to call my fraternity brother and, you know, he helped me get the car towed and everything. And he's like, you know, Twist. He's like, I, I could drive for another hundred years, and this will never happen to me. This will probably <laughs> happen to you twice. Like, and, and he was telling the truth. Like, they actually gave me an award at our year-end banquet that we have. It's, it's. Uh, they gave me the 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 Oliver Twist I'm Dude Bad Luck Award. I still have it to this day. <laughs> oh my god. You're, you're the jinx. <laughs> yeah, that's the only award the fraternity ever gave me, even though I had the best grades. But, you know, hey, uh, if you're is, if you're going to be known for something, you might as well be really good at it, even if it is being really bad. So, you know, I, I, I have those odd things that happen to me. Myson, you said you had a couple last things and then you were done? Yep. So, um, when it comes to the Rams, I'm going to take it back to Matt LaFleur a little bit before we get you out of here. Um, when you look at the Rams and you look at their uh, offense, you know, with the addition of Matt LaFleur to the coaching staff, who should be happier that he's arrived? Should it be the quarterback or should it be the receivers? Because they kind of, they're kind of synonymous. They kind of go hand in hand. That's a great question. Um, Save the best for last. <laughs> I mean... If I were Goff, I think that I would be the happiest just because last year was such an abysmally sad entry into the NFL for him. And I think he has a chance to improve this year. So if I were Goff, I'd be really excited about that. But also looking at the way that the Falcons spread the ball around last year. And they did that with, you know, obviously Julio Jones is Julio Jones, but they did that with guys like Taylor Gabriel, who got cut by the Browns after the preseason. Um, and so I think that, you know, he's learned from Shanahan how to be creative with getting the ball to your playmakers. Um, so I think everybody should be pretty happy, but I'd say golf primarily. Okay. And my last question for you before we get you out of here, it's really a simple one. And the answer to this could either make Rams fans really happy or really <laughs> sad. <laughs> but <laughs> so with the loss of, with the loss of Matt LaFleur, does Matt Ryan regress? Well, I think that Ryan is going to regress a little bit no matter what. Um, but, yeah, well, yeah. losing – yeah, just his his numbers last year were so ridiculous. He, that's not sustainable. It's but hard to I, duplicate, but it, <laughs> it, it would be is, like a drastic regression. I don't think it will be a drastic regression because I think that the way that he improved his mechanics and his timing is going to stick with them. Plus, they retained a lot of those playmakers. And so they have, you know, the same personnel in place to, to – and they're running a similar scheme under Sark. So I don't think that'll be a huge regression, but I do think that losing Shanahan and LaFleur is going to be a factor and him taking a step back, you know, a little bit of a step back. That's fair enough. Now, unlike him, I have some tougher questions before we get you out of here. 
Okay. All right. So the top, let's say five worst movies you've seen in no particular order. Like absolutely atrocious movies. Oh my gosh. Um, Okay, The Notebook. That movie is garbage. Titanic. (laughs) Yes, Titanic is a terrible movie. Mm. Well, Titanic sucks. But The Notebook? (laughs) No, The Notebook is so bad. Pearl Harbor. (laughs) Pearl Harbor is trash. Um, (laughs) Let me think. What what else is trash? Um, Oh, my gosh. There's so many to choose from. Um, I'm going to go all the way back. Um, do you guys remember those Chucky movies from like, yes. the, like yeah, oh, Child's Play? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Child's Play. All of the Child's Play movies. They're, that's going to round out my list. They're all so terrible. I, I was actually watching Leprechaun Back to the Hood the other day. Oh my gosh. Oh, another... that movie was... oh, that's oh. definitely in my top five. <laughs> yeah. I, for, I actually forgot about that one, but that one is very That bad. and Killer Clowns. That and Killer Clowns, the movie about the clowns that were. That one's eight, also yeah. very bad. That movie was terrible, but I watched it every time it came on as a kid. <laughs> you, you know, I have Salt and the Tourist in there at number one and two. Uh, Pain and Gain. With uh, The Rock, and I didn't think The Rock and Mark Wahlberg were capable of making an awful movie, but from the moment Pain and Gain started, like, I wanted to walk out, and I, I like, I, I, I spent most of that movie in the hallway getting refreshments, like, I, I could not watch that piece of crap. Uh, the 2000s... I actually liked it. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think it was Anthony Mackie was like the best part of that movie for me. Yeah. But uh, Central Intelligence was also pretty bad, but I don't know if I'd have it in my top five. Logan, that movie was trash. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. That was, the worst, that was the worst movie I have ever seen. I didn't think anything could be worse than The Hulk, but that was, that was it. And then... Um, yeah, I'd probably leave it there. Pick 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 a crappy horror movie and throw it in there. Stuff Stephanie and the Incinerator. That one was really awful. I never even heard of it. <laughs> it's a re- yeah, Google it. It's a real movie. Like there's a picture of a girl in a miniskirt bent over an incinerator and a dude like just has a hatchet and a foot ready to kick her in. Like it, it is the king of cheesy crap. Mean girls. What about you, Dyson? Mean girls was great. What? Dude, come on! I'm sorry, I like no. that movie. Oh, wait, did you mean, say Mean Mean Girls? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mean Girls is wonderful. Oh. It was amazing. <laughs> oh. Mean was Girls was pretty good. <laughs> oh. Mean Girls was Mean Girls was pretty gruel. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Mean well Girls done. joke about Mean Girls. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah. For me, oh man, I mean, I would definitely say uh, Leprechaun in the Hood because that's the first thing that comes to my mind anytime someone asks me the worst movie I ever saw. <laughs> that it comes about every single time that damn Killer Clowns movie. Um, I would have to say uh, more, uh, not recently, but the remakes of kind of like the Freddy Krueger and all that stuff. Mm. That Freddy versus Jason was so bad. It was so bad. I hated it. I really did. 
Um, also, I wasn't a big fan of the original Shining. I thought it was terribly overrated. I liked the book much better. I thought the original Shining sucked, and it was only overhyped because it was Jack Nicholson. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> like, I, I thought the original Shining was terrible. Fair enough. All right, and now your top three most overrated bands. Oh my gosh. Um... <sighs> This is this might be too hard. Almond Brothers, <laughs> like people love them, and I saw them live, and I was like, no. I, this was like back in the nineties. I'll take the five dollars. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Uh, Dave Matthews Band, another overrated band. I'm like, I went to college in the nineties. I'm very old, so you'll just have to bear with me because I've run out all these old bands. Um, Josh is older than that. Woody and the Blowfish. Oh, I'm not. I'm. 35. <laughs> I didn't go to college in 2004. I don't even think I can come up with a third one. I don't even know. My number one is the Beatles. My number two is the Doors. And then number three is Leonard Skinner. I don't understand it. Like, I just don't get it. Maybe some people do. I don't. I realize that might be sacrilegious to somebody who grew up in the South, but I've never gotten it. It's a conversation that me and my buddy Eric have from time to time. What about you, Myson? Uh, I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I try not to listen to bad music. But it <laughs> so, happens, man. It happens. So yeah, that's the thing. Like, if I hear something that turns me off, I don't keep listening. <laughs> so it's like when people ask me, "Oh, what do you think of this person?" I'm like, "Well, I heard this song," <laughs> and I'm just like, "Yeah, it was." trash so i don't really listen to okay so the else trashiest artist you've ever heard and turned off <laughs> the trashiest artist i ever heard and turned off oh crap man that's a can of worms right there i know uh <laughs> everyone else had to answer it pony up the trashiest artist kesha oh wow <laughs> i who you say kesha She's pretty trash, but I wouldn't say she's the trashiest. I would say the (laughs) trashiest artist I've ever heard was uh, Little B. (laughs) I I still don't even get that rise to fame at all. (laughs) I'm glad it was short lived. (laughs) I I didn't get the entire cash money, like outside of like juvenile for like 0.2 seconds there. Like, I didn't get cash money's rise to fame at all. I will say I I do have one band, and I will say I think U two is a little bit overrated. Oh, praise God, you said that. They have some hits, but I don't. Yeah, yeah, I figured you like that, Scott. (laughs) They have some hits, but I uh, I don't think that they are, you know, all that. But yeah, that's just me. So, so what we like to do here at the end um, is give all our guests an opportunity to talk about uh, articles that they have come up coming up or have written that you would like to draw people's attention to or any causes that you would like to uh, alert us to. Um, I know one Matt Waldman, when he comes on here, he always pushes darkness to light for victims of domestic violence. So, yeah, this is really your platform to uh, to say whatever you would like. All as right, well as well, where people can find you on social media. All right, Almost I can gone. do that. Um, so a cause that I'm very fond of is the Rally Foundation. They do great work to raise money to fight childhood cancers, all of them. Like they don't focus on just one type of cancer, just childhood cancers in general. And Vic Beasley 
the Falcons outside linebacker is very involved with them. And last year he did a sack challenge where like he hardly had any sacks his rookie season. And I was like, sure, I will give $4 a sack. And then (laughs) he led the league in sacks last year. And I had to write this huge check to rally foundation, but it was good because it raised a lot of money for childhood cancer. So they are at rallyfoundation.org and um, people should definitely check them out. It's a great organization. And, um, Right now, I don't have anything like coming up aside from draft coverage. So pretty much we've been nonstop doing pre-draft stuff. So I have a couple of um, bigger articles that dropped this week. One about how the Browns can avoid screwing up this draft and one about the Falcons, just how the collaboration between Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov has benefited them in the draft. So I've got those things up on SB Nation. And then you can find me on Twitter at Gina Thomas. It's spelled weird. It's J-E-A-N-N-A. Thomas. And I highly suggest giving her a follow as we well, just started you. following each other. So, I mean, that's the thing to do, I, right? I'm, I'm following right now, actually. <laughs> I will I will follow you back when I get back on Twitter. My, my yeah. son was texting me. He's like, man, I feel like she's almost speaking for me. Like, I don't even have to say <laughs> anything. Like, you just let her talk. <laughs> yeah. You, you, Speaking the words, like, took the words right out of my mouth on a couple of occasions. (laughs) Yeah, let's just say that everybody was was of a similar mindset on today's podcast. So it was was very enjoyable. And we thank you for coming on. And we'd definitely like to have you back on maybe after the draft to talk about what you think. Did the Rams do well? Did the Rams do poorly? Did Les Snead somehow pull off another coup d'etat? Uh, we will soon find out. But um, you, you know what I just realized, man. How do we not? How do we not talk about Les Steed? You know, especially with his ties to the Falcons. Oh my gosh, we dropped the ball. We have to have you back. <laughs> All right, yeah. Just let me know when. I'll be glad to come back. You go party it up, Gina, and thank you so much. I know that she's she was kind enough to give us an hour of her time, but now we're going to let her go meet up with her friends because that's what good people do. They don't keep them all night. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, guys. That was a lot of fun. All right. We'll oh, talk definitely. to you soon. Gina Thomas, ladies and gentlemen, SB Nation, Falcoholic, give her a follow. So that was Gina Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. And like I said, if you're not following her on Twitter at Gina Thomas, Uh, She is verified, so look for the blue check. Uh, But you can also find her work on the Falcoholic, uh, which is SB Nation's Falcon site. One of of the really, like, honestly, there are a lot of really well-run sites with SB Nation, but the Falcoholic is up there with, like, the top of the top. Like, between Charles and Gina, like, they kill it. And I'm not saying we suck, because we kill it, too. But... They've been killing it, and we're just starting to kill it. So, you know, we're kind of like the Paolo Dibola, and she's Lionel Messi. We're getting there, but we're not there yet. Um, yeah. Man, so you pretty much thought that everything she said was gospel. Talk to me, man. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say everything Everything she said I thought was gospel, but uh, no, she definitely was – um, she was <laughs> she was definitely hitting on some things. Uh, you know, obviously, just to start off with just the Joe Mixon thing, you know, I think that it's uh, especially coming from a woman, 
you know, and I, you really touched on it a bit. Doing that, man. Yeah, you know, it, you you touched on it a bit. Just being a woman, you know, she she can connect to it a little different from a a man can, you know. Um, and I definitely, I really like you said, just kind of appreciate her touching on it and you know, um, really diving into it and being pretty open we and have honest about it. You know, listeners, man, we 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 have female listeners. Oh yeah, absolutely. Interact with us, man, and it's you know. They, these are realities that they live with. Like some of them, that as much as they love the Rams, they may never want to see Joe Mixon because he punched out a woman. And frankly, yeah, you can't argue with them. You can't. Like it's not an arguable thing. If yeah, a woman absolutely. says that's my line, okay, back off. Like that she's allowed to have that opinion. It's not something that ever should happen. No, absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, and and that's what that's why I thoroughly enjoyed her just kind of talking about it because we do have female listeners. You know, this isn't uh, you know only for men. This is just this is for this is for people that are this is for fans of the Rams and fans of football. You know, fans of good, good sports talk and just you know that's what it's about. And you know, she for her to kind of just touch on it the way she did and just really uh, be that open and honest about it. And you know. Um, We've talked about it quite a bit over the past month, you know, here, you know, so I think it was just good to kind of get another perspective of it. Female perspective at that, too, because, you know, we, yeah. we, we've even talked about how we needed to get a woman on the podcast to get her perspective because we were talking about things that, frankly, we can never really know. Well, I mean, I can, but, you know, I, let me put it this way. I may have been punched on my birthday, but I was never in fear for my life. You know what I mean? Like, right, exactly. I may have gone through uh, domestic violence, but I have never been in a relationship where I was worried that I might not wake up the next morning. And I, I can never really know that feeling. Like, I mean, I suppose it's possible. You know, I, I don't think my wife, my wife doesn't have a mean streak in her, but uh you know uh <laughs> yeah I, I i just i think it's important for all perspectives to have their time on this show you know we need to address the fact that we have female listeners in addition to the fact that we have male listeners so yeah absolutely you this know was, she, um, this one was for the gals go ahead. this one was kind of for the gals because Gina no, killed it, man. Like, I mean, this is the thing. You know, on a day when ESPN fired the world, like, there are really, 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 really good female journalists, like, that just crush it, that know their stuff. And they're never even given the time of day because they have breasts and a vagina. Like, that just, it's, uh, it, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense to me. Like, you never hear somebody who say, hey, my teacher can't teach me because she's a woman. Like, why does that logic then trickle into football? Like, I never understood that. So your kindergarten teacher can be, like, one of your favorite people, but a woman can't talk to you about football? What? Get out of here. Um, <laughs> but let's talk, about, let's talk about that. So she thinks that Joe Mixon is going to be gone, possibly in the first round. Yeah. Do you have that same feeling, or do you think that that that? that oh, I definitely, I definitely, I definitely think that there's a legitimate chance. You know, so I, do you I, go I, followed, I followed the, I have followed the Joe Mixon thing extremely close, as you know, um, and I, I, you know, there's I have I have friends who work in the NFL. Um, the people that I've talked to, 
there, there's such a wide range. There's people who legitimately like it's been well known that the Patriots have completely said they're yes. taking him off their board. Yep. You know, that's not you know, a secret. Still, that it it was put you know, out there. You know, it's, there's no secret to it. Um, but then there's teams who are like, we're not taking him off our board. You know, um, he's staying on our board. They, you know, they're they're comfortable with the idea of bringing him in. Now, what it comes down to is exactly. Now, what it comes down to is when do you bring him in? You know, and that's where you talking uh, about playing him. No, I mean when you draft him. Oh, okay. You know, you have you have you have uh, you have guys that are teams that are comfortable with the idea of bringing him in. They're like, we're not going to take him off our draft board. But then it comes down to when do you bring him we're in? We're not going to burn a first-round pick on a guy who knocked out a woman. You know, like there's a moral line, even if they're drawn. Is is there though? Is there? You no. That's what I'm saying. Even if they're drawing it very weakly, like it's it's a justification no doubt. Here's, here's an interesting thing. So every single year, and I love it when they do this, the uh, Milwaukee Journal Center, they do these polls on the players right before the draft. Every, the week of the draft, every single year they do it, where, you know, they uh, they talk to executives throughout the NFL, both from the AFC and NFC. And they rank the best players at each position. They rank the best player at, you know, uh, the best player overall. They rank, you know, who do they want to stay away from. They do all these different rankings. And when they did it, um, when they did it this year, they did. They said they asked, you know, would you draft uh, Joe Mixon? And six of the eleven execs they talked to, uh, they said they wouldn't. And then the others said they would. So, uh, so it's like, or, or, no, excuse me. I think four of them said they would, and then one never responded. You know, so. You, you still hear, you know, you have teams there that's like, no, we're not going to touch them. There are a large number But of there's, teams still, there's still a good percentage of teams. You know, let's just say 40%, just based off of the numbers that we have here, let's just say 40% is saying, yes, we will still, we'd still draft him. So then you have to figure out, okay, where do you draft him? There is still going to be teams that says, yes, we will take him in the first round. You know, if we if we had a need there, because even if they'd be willing to take him, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have a need to take him. You know, mm-hmm. there might be somebody, they, they might need more that's there, but that doesn't mean that if he if they didn't have that deep, they wouldn't take a Joe Mixon. But then you have teams that say, yes, we still draft him, but we wouldn't him before the fourth round. You know, so his draft range is all over. I personally don't think it's no way possible he lasts to the fourth round. It could very well happen. I've seen crazier things, but it's hard for me to – if Joe Mixon lasts to the fourth round, I truly believe that Dalvin Cook goes undrafted. <laughs> like, like, Dalvin Cook falls That's logical, way down. Though. Like, if Joe Mixon doesn't go until round four, then, then that's – like, if NFL teams draft Dalvin Cook, but, like, in rounds one through three, but push into four, I'm going to have a lot of questions, and I'm going to be writing a lot of articles. You know, right. I'm gonna be writing. I'm gonna be. I'm Rams gonna be writing letters to some Dalvin people and to the. Like, if the Rams drafted Dalvin Cook, I would be all over that. Like, I, I mean, I would. I would slaughter it. I would slaughter you know, that. If 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 Joe Mixon goes, you know, undrafted, and Dalvin Cook goes in the first round, I'm seriously gonna have a bone to pick with the NFL, and I'm not gonna yeah. drop it. I, w- I seriously will not drop it because it will literally tell me everything that you don't want to know, which is. Hey, you can do whatever you want. Just don't get caught on camera, and yeah. we'll and we won't care. And that's exactly the message that will be sent. Yeah, you know, that's that's, that's the message that will be sent. 
Ray Rice doesn't have a job because he got caught on camera. Adrian Peterson is playing for the for the uh, New Orleans Saints, Saints because all they got were pictures. Yeah, and, you know, and that's and that's what the message will be if you if and that's what happened. I mean, no, you know? let's be clear here. It's unfair to talk about the Adrian Peterson situation without talking about black culture. Like, I mean, it's common for switches to be used in, in, in like, this is, I, I mean, you, you have to couch it in the context. Like, while people are going to view it as child abuse and he went a little too far, like, I have been hit with a switch growing up. Like, you know, I, I, I it's happened. So yeah, I, I that's, know, I, that's 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 not so just weird. like that's not just like black culture. That's any culture, especially if you were born in if you were born any time between nineteen forty nineteen forty and nineteen eighty, you probably got whooped with a switch at least once if you did something you shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> I, I think at one time I got hit with a hammer. Like my mom, on Christmas Eve, my mom hit me in the face with a hockey stick, and she actually got arrested. And I had to go to a, a, a one of those group homes, you know, for for the safety of the child, which was worse than being at home because my grandma was like sixty years old and couldn't move at all. So you know, as long as I stayed out of range of the hockey stick, I'd have been good. But. I was a terrible child, man. I was just a horrible child. And I wasn't trying to as much pin it on black culture. It's just, you know, I I I I try to learn. And I think that art is is one of the greatest teachers of all. And in art, through comedy, through music, through whatever, you learn quite about a bit about different cultures. And this brought up on the Carmichael show. I know Chris Rock had a bit about it for, for the longest time about switches. Uh, uh, and I think Cedric the Entertainer did too. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's why I say, like, you know, it's 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 a part. Of, but you're right; it is very much like a lot of people caught a whooping, man. That's just the way it was in the '80s, early '80s, and '90s. It was it was how you dealt with a naughty child. Yeah, I got my ass kicked, you know. So you know, with the when it comes to the Adrian Peterson thing, I don't think that it's a case of. You know, the kids are showing up to school with, you know, a lot of bruises and broken bones and black eyes. I don't think it's that, you know, and that's why I say that, you know, I think that the term, you know, you know, the phrase child Mm -hmm. abuse can sometimes can get used too loosely. You know, um, that's my personal opinion. Child abuse. I completely agree. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that every single thing is child abuse. You may not agree with it. You know, you may not agree with how the person raised their child, but not every single thing is child abuse. Uh, I think that there is lines and there's levels to this thing, you know, um, and this I think that honest- moral of acceptability, you know, different. Exactly. A different way about it. Exactly. You know, so. Um, and, and, and so that's why I agree with you when you say that, you know, you kind of you have to mention, you know, more, you know, it can't just be. Oh well, yeah, you know, Adrian Peterson, you know, Adrian Peterson beat his child. You know, I think you should really look at the broad scope of things. But then when you talk about Ray Rice or you talk about Josh Brown, you know, uh, you talk, which again is two completely different cases because Josh Brown Brown is back in the league. Josh, Josh Brown, yeah, right. Josh Brown, you know, unlike Ray Rice, when when the video came out of Ray Rice, it was like, oh my god, you know. 
And Ray Rice played two games, and then they 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 punished him twice. Okay, he was suspended. Then he got in trouble again for the same thing. You know, because of video. Yeah, the NFLPA had to get him reinstated. Like they they the league tried to make an example out of him. Exactly, and it's all because the video was released. You know, now. The, now, I'm not in no way whatsoever trying to say, oh, one thing is worse than the other. But you have Josh Brown, who for, I think they said, 10 years during their marriage was regularly abusing his wife. And she had a he had a full journal on this stuff. You know, what kind of sick person does the things that he does then goes and brags about it in his journal? Like, that's different. <laughs> you know, that's like severe mental issues. But that's what it, that's the, that was the case with him. Well, this all comes out, and Josh Brown plays damn near a whole season and collects all his game checks. But it's because and there then was when no the letters punch. came out, that's when they decided to act. They're like, "Oh, we got to do even something." Then, even then, there was hesitation. You know, there was like, "Oh, what should we do right now?" You know, it took a lot of media publicity before it was like, "Okay, he's been he's been cut and released, and we're not having anything to do with him." And then he wasn't even suspended. He was put on the commissioner's exempt list. You know, so it's like, it's like, what the hell? You know, if, unless there's video footage, then the, I guess things aren't as bad. You know, it, it takes away from it, I, which doesn't make sense to me, which is why, I, once again, I say, you know, if, if you're going to go, if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to say that it's because of uh, domestic violence or whatever, whatever it may be. You need to be you consistent. Need to have with a unilateral that. policy. It has. It, to, it has to be has some to consistency. Be you know, uh, Joe Mixon. If he's going to fall, a lot of players need to fall. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. players. There's players that we don't even know about have done anything that has, but the NFL has already found out about. But because there's no media light shining on it, they're going to act well, like it's like it's like, like what Dan Happen said when he was a scout. He said there are things he he found out about players that he's you know he's never going to release to the public. But like he knows yeah. he knows he knows where the bodies are for a lot of players, and 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 I imagine living with that is you know I kind of wish I'd asked him about this. Like how do you how do you compartmentalize that? How do you set that aside? You know because. Everything in your heart says, I want to report this, but you can't. Like, you can't. Right. That's career suicide. You can't do it. But, you know, I imagine it's just, you know, it's an ethical dilemma to be sure. Yeah, absolutely. But, that, but again, that's why I say just because the media doesn't know about it and they can't make it known to the world, if that's what you're, if that's what you're going to go by, if that's going to be the policy or the, you know, the rock you decide to hide under, you need to be consistent with it. You know, so if Joe Mixon falls, Dalvin Cook should fall, and every any other player that you find out anything about needs to fall. <laughs> you know, it's just that simple. You can't say, "Oh, well, there's a video with this one," because in that in that particular case, you are downgrading the actual act. You know, you're downgrading the fact that that, that this girl was hit in the face and you know mm-hmm. was knocked out. You're saying it's not as big of a deal if it's not caught on camera. And so it's no longer about what actually happened. It's just about can everyone see it, <laughs> you know, which is a problem. You know, so that's why I say I, I, I would have a huge bone to pick if Joe Mixon, if we saw Joe Mixon fall. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, I'm hearing a lot of rumors about the Eagles being very yeah. The Eagles definitely need a running back. And I'm, I'm of the mindset that 
we could see Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, and Dalvin Cook all going by pick 12. I honestly believe that. Yeah. You know, so if that, that is cool. the case. I mean, it, with the running backs, they're kind of due. Now, now, statistically, such a thing does not exist, but we've gone a number of NFL drafts where running backs were kind of overlooked and, and shuttled into the second round, second and third rounds. I remember one year, like, people were, like, on Twitter, like, damn, still no running back. I can't remember what year that was, but I know you're going to tell me right now. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh what's up no go for it i was to say what year was it the the year of no backs yeah when people were we like went 2012 2013 or no not 2012 2013 was the first year 2014 and yeah then but Tiger one of those years three. like a back didn't go until like way 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 late like that's what people were commenting yeah that like, was 2011 2011 mark ingram was the first back to go yes to, to the saints in round four right yeah well no he went in the first round but it was like pick 28 no. or something no there was a year where there wasn't anybody drafted in the first year first round Oh, yeah, yeah, that was the 2013. Nobody was drafted until, like, pick 55 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's the year I'm talking about when everybody was like, oh, yeah, there's, you know, still no running backs. Like, how is this yeah. possible? But, you know, there, there's there's going to be players that spill over into this into the second round because of questioning character concerns. And I'm sure that as the draft comes out, there are going to be stories tomorrow. There will be. Yeah, People absolutely. are because because some asshole sitting on a story to nuke a kid's day. Yeah, he could he had the information and could have published this well in advance, but he's going to save it for draft day. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> Let's make him and fall I hate to us. Those I really do. <laughs> Let's make him fall to us. You know what's going to happen? It's it always happens. It's inevitable. Um, I, I feel like there was actually just some news that broke up. For some reason, I'm drawing a blank right now. But there was just some news that broke on somebody. Um, it's going to come to me Talking after a while. About the talk. Ohio State cornerback, Gary on Conley. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, where, where does this even come from? You know, at the last minute, it never makes sense to me. Did we lose gas? No, I'm back. I'm back. It was weird. My, <laughs> my my stuff went in and out. What was the last thing you said? No, I was saying the Gary on Coley thing. It never makes sense. How, yeah, how no, it always it pops up. It, it doesn't. Well, no, the story doesn't really make much sense at all, to be honest with you. It's, no. it's, it's, a, it's a pretty crazy story. Like witnesses are saying that he didn't. Uh, you know, police haven't filed any charges yet. There was that wonky report where the guy is like, I'm not going to name any names, which I think is crap reporting. <laughs> like, you can't publish a story saying, hey, we've got this guy. He's possibly accused of, of rape, but we're not going to release his name. It's like, look, dude, if you're going to tell the story, tell the story. If you're not, sit on it. Like, And eventually, Internet dug it out, and it was Gary on Connolly because it doesn't take, you know, like, it doesn't, you, you give NFL draft Twitter 30 minutes, and they'll, they'll find out who got arrested. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So, or, or police Absolutely. are talking to. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I think we can kind of wrap up this particular conversation by saying that we agree 
that not only should the NFL have some sort of policy in place for these matters, but that if you are going to enforce that, it needs to be all 32 teams. You can't have, you know, 20 teams saying we're not going to take a guy who hit a woman and then 12 teams saying, it's all good, dude. Is there video of it? No? Come on. Well, more than that, more than that, I it know, needs I'm to be... Saying. It needs to be, it can't be, oh, is there a video? <laughs> like, yeah, 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 that's what I'm saying. Like, there can't be teams saying, oh, there's no video? Oh, we'll take it. You know, like, there needs to yeah. be people saying, all right, if 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 we have a case where this guy proven did this, then I think you should, like, I think you should have a fourth round grade. If you've been, if you've been convicted of domestic violence, uh, uh, assault of, of of any kind, uh, b- breaking and entering, you know, like dudes like Tennessee players that are kicking in doors and holding people up at gunpoint, like that type of stuff. Like, yeah. if you've been convicted of that stuff, fourth round, if not undrafted. Bare minimum. See, and now, the, now that takes me to my next point. In, um, I know I've harped on this a lot, and, you know, Gina really really hit it on the head, you know, when she said, but at what point do you move on? You, you know, it. you can't, you can't, you can't punish a guy twice, you know, when well, they've already been saying, punished. Don't, don't you know, make it the fourth round, you know, have, have the ability for these guys to get but, drafted, but they shouldn't enjoy first, second or third round money. But that's, but that's just the thing, you know, Gina said that she sees him going in the first round. She, you know, she's okay with that, you know, because he's paid his dues. You know, so how for how do you put it? But we can't ask for teams to be unilateral on this and then say, but we also have to forgive. Like we need to find that line where it says, okay, if you've been convicted. And the one thing that we didn't mention on this is that the the the, the case with with uh, Joe Mixon and uh, what is uh, Amelia? Is that her name? Of the victim. Yeah, Melissa Amelia. What is it? Uh, you know, I actually cannot speak right now. Uh, I am. Uh. Amelia, yeah, Amelia Molitor. I got it right. Okay, Amelia Molitor. I just like to say these women's names because they're actual human beings, not just yeah. a girl. Um, the thing that 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 is, I I found to be at least uplifting was. As part of the agreement between the two of them, and she asked for this, she wanted to sit down with Joe Mixon. And by the time it was over, they didn't leave the best of friends, but she wished him well and and told teams, like, if you want to draft him, you should draft him. You know, that, to me, that's when I say, okay, if a team wants to take a guy, if you have victims coming forward, and now still that doesn't address the problem of victims who are, scared into coming forward. But if you have a clear-cut case like this Emilio Molitor situation where, you know, he was he was charged, she got her day in court, she she got to speak to him, they closed that chapter of their lives between the two of them. And if it's done amicably, then I am okay with the NFL viewing it as such, if that makes sense. But if there are still undisclosed or excuse me uh um unresolved issues 
and and you know the woman still feels slighted and and this guy was definitely convicted then no i i think there should be some penalty to pay and i don't think the fourth round is i mean it's an arbitrary thing i mean they could do something else i don't know i'm just coming up with something i'm trying to put a solution on the table jumpstart the conversation but if they've resolved the issue, then I am okay with the, the, the teams drafting the player in whichever round they feel the, the player should be drafted. And I agree with that to you know some sort of extent. Like with me, it's more so how fresh is this, you know? And when I say that, I don't mean, oh, this was forever ago. You know, this person killed a man, you know, <laughs> forget about the fact that he killed someone. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, like, how fresh is it as in what has happened since? You know, if this if this is something that just happened, you know, um, two months before the draft, you know. Don't touch it. It's, Don't it's touch far, it. Exactly. You know, it's so fresh, you want to stay away, you know. So what do you um, want, like, it? Because, you, because you haven't room? had the opportunity. You haven't had the opportunity to see what this player does after that, you know, is this regular behavior? And that's my number one. That's my number one debate with Joe Mixon is you don't see he regular behavior from him. You know, yeah. he, he even, and I don't, I don't even want to say he kept his head down because in when I, I feel like when people say that in a sense, you're almost saying that this person has gotten trouble, gotten trouble, gotten trouble. And then when it was like the, the wrath finally came down on him, then he stayed out of trouble. You know, he kept his no, head down. He, Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe he did I, his maybe. time and was willing to earn the trust of everyone back. Is that a better way of phrasing maybe, it? No, maybe it's okay. he was just himself. <laughs> maybe he, you know, you know, and that's and that's how I try to look at it when when you don't really have much of it. And that's why I keep bringing up Dalvin Cook, because Dalvin Cook has such a lengthy track record. You know, if he was to uh, if, if he was to finally if that suspension for him was to hope be held up, you know, after the whole hitting the woman outside the bar thing, if that was to be held up and then after that, he never got in trouble again. Then you could say he kept his head down because it was like he's always in some type of trouble. Finally, he kept his head down. But when you don't really have a track record and you do something to me, that's a mistake, you know. And if you don't really do anything after that, it's not necessarily that you keep your head down. You're finally staying out of trouble or anything like that. You made a mistake and you 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 paid your price and then you moved on with your life. You know, <laughs> you walked up, you walked away with your head high, you faced music, you know. And that's why I say I don't really like to say you kept your head down because I don't well, think that's Joe what I'm saying. Do you accept my rephrase of me saying that he took his punishment, served his time, and then went to work earning the trust back of, of the people who he had, you know, lost a little bit of trust with his coaching. Yeah, staff, absolutely. With his family. You know, I'm sure they're, you know, he, he, he applied himself to making amends with everybody. And, and, and in absolutely. that situation, I feel like not only has he done his time, but he's learning from his lesson. Absolutely. And I've said this a million times on the show. I've said it on the site. I continue to say it. And I'm going to keep saying it. The most impressive part about the entire process of, uh, of, of Joe Mixon to me is there has yet to be one bad thing to hit the, to hit the papers, to hit the, the TV, hit the, hit the computer screens, any sort of bad thing to come out where when they were doing these investigations on his character where anyone said Joe Mixon was a bad guy. And they talked to coaches. They talked to 
students, <laughs> they talked to teachers, they talked to everyone, <laughs> you know, and no one had anything bad to say. They all said, this isn't the Joe Mixon we know, this was a mistake. <laughs> you know, he made a mistake. They all said it was unanimous. No, not one report, <laughs> you know, and like we just got done saying, you know, when teams find stuff out, they try to leak it so players are drafted to fall to them and stuff. You haven't heard any sort of leakage or anything. The one report that came out turned out to be bogus where a reporter came across it and jumped the gun on it from years ago. <laughs> you know, the the dad about the Anthony Gonzalez who made the fo- Facebook post about his daughter being hit by Joe Mixon when they were in high school, was he actually made that post a few days after Joe Mixon was suspended for what he actually he did do. <laughs> you know, and then, he admitted the and, lying. Yeah, exactly. And then he turned around and admitted, admitted that it wasn't true. You know, so it's like there's been nothing. The only yeah. thing that you, the only thing that you could try to hang your head on was a complete lie. It was a bogus story that shouldn't have never been printed. You know, <laughs> so so to me, to me, that's like how do you how do you punish a kid twice because it's not fresh. There's been it's going on three years, <laughs> okay, since that happened. All right, three years is a long time. It is since, it's since no that doubt, happened. It's no doubt. It's no doubt. It's a long time. But again, I come back on if there are teams who that is their line, like the Patriots. Look, trust me, the Patriots aren't going to be hurting because they didn't draft but, Joe Mixon. Yeah, and that's why it's so like the Patriots. That's why I say, you know, when I say it, I say it in a sort of nonchalant way on purpose because it's like. That's not that's not a surprise. It's the Patriots. It, it's yeah. not hard. They just got hard done to... with the story of the year. Like, yeah, it's, it's not hard to it's not hard to get kicked off of their big board. <laughs> it's not hard at all, you know. So well, it's like the Patriots aren't exactly in 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 a, in a in a giving a try mood after the whole Hernandez thing. Like that organization is on lockdown right now. Like you even get mentioned with something stupid, well, the Patriots have parted ways with, they don't give a crap who you are. You could, well... You know, I'm I'm going to be a little, I'm going to be a little more real than that. When it comes to the Patriots, and you're talking about players and all this stuff, I'm all ears. There's nothing you can tell me about the Patriots that I won't listen to, that I think will make my team team better. I'll listen to everything you have to say about them, except for the draft. You're not going to tell me, oh, they... Somebody off their big board. I don't care. They're terrible drafters. <laughs> you know, it, it's not like it's not like they have to, like it's not like they got out there. You know, the, like they're the Packers who go out there and constantly find players. You know, through the draft. You know, I don't care if the Patriots took somebody off their big board. They yeah. are terrible drafters. So it's not, like, it's not like it's not like it's some type of it's not like it's some type of big time pleasure to be on the Patriots big board. There is a, it, it, it's only it's only a big deal when you're a free agent. <laughs> you know, and they want to bring you in when you're a nobody and they want to bring you in. But to not be on their big board, so what? They they very rarely if hit Joe on their Mason pick. If Joe Mixon went undrafted, <laughs> the Patriots would bring him in and say, well, he wasn't on our big board. If Joe, look, if Joe Mixon, <laughs> if Joe, I've said this before, you know, a few weeks ago, if Joe Mixon comes into the NFL and four years from now, he's put up legit production. And he's a receiving back. <laughs> you know how they love those guys in New England. Mm-hmm. You know he can catch the ball. <laughs> he not he can run it and catch it. You know, he's, Joe so if he is comes, the closest in, thing I've seen to Reggie Bush, and that includes Adoree Jackson. 
Joe Reggie Bush. Are we talking about NFL Reggie Bush? <laughs> no, we're talking about college Reggie Bush. Okay, I'm gonna say Reggie Bush was trash in the NFL. Yeah, but anyway, no, I'm, talking, I'm talking about I'm talking about in terms of his versatility and how terrifying he was to opposing defensive coordinators. Outside of like Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> if Joe Mixon can come into the NFL and he can produce solid good production, and he's a free agent. Four years down the line. Patriots and he says, time. I want to sign with the Patriots. I guarantee you they sign him. <laughs> I get it because like, I've seen it before. Like Joe Mixon has been into New England for a visit today. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it before. LeGarrette Blunt has been with him for the past three years. Didn't LeGarrette Blunt get kicked off his college team? <laughs> and he got kicked off the team after the first game of the season. <laughs> you yeah. know that, By- that Byron House punch, though. Like, I, 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 man, that was that was that was still all kinds of ridiculous, but somewhat funny. Like Byron out relishes in it. He's like, I love that. I'm the fact that Legarrette Blunt hit. I'm the guy that Legarrette Blunt hit. He <laughs> was such an odd approach to it, but I mean, you it's- know. I think yeah. I, I think we agree. I think we're we're in agreement, man. That that Joe Mixon's yeah. paid his time, and if he's there, he would benefit the Rams. Um, Absolutely. If he's there in the third rounds, I'm running to the. I'm not wasting. I don't care if there's eight minutes to make my pick. I'll make the pick in eight seconds. I'm yeah. taking Joe Mixon. <laughs> However long it takes me to write his name down, that's how long it'll take for me to make the pick. Um, exactly. You know, let's let's wrap this mofo up. Um, you can find Mison on Twitter at Mighty or Mison, spelled M-I-S-O-N-E. Mison, Mighty or is pretty much it's it's spelled Mighty and the word or O R, not O A R or either <laughs> or. Um, as for myself, you can find me on Twitter at Fight On Twist. Uh, our producer Scott is on Twitter at Sports Speaks. Uh, give him a follow. He is a Niners fan. He is open to abuse. Um, but uh, I want to say, man, uh, legit, uh, Scott, we love everything that you do, man. You're always available. You you make this podcast go. You're the heart of the podcast, man. We really appreciate you. And I'm truly telling you, uh, Scott is one of the best guys I've ever had the privilege of meeting and if more people got to know him, I am convinced that he would have thousands of followers because he's got a heart of gold. So give him a follow. He will happily talk to you about anything. He never gets caught up in trolling. He's just a he's just in for some good conversation, man. So uh, but with that, we would also encourage you to follow the site at Tertio Times. Uh, as always, this podcast will be up tonight or tomorrow. One of the two, either or. Um, uh, outside of that, uh, draft day coverage, man. Um, expect us to be on it. I mean, we'll be there for Thursday, but obviously the Rams don't have any. Well, we don't know yet. Hey, I stopped myself. You know what? You know what? I was. I meant to. I meant to bring this up, but we got so deep into Joe Mixon there. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed there, – there's so many things years. you can learn. From, <laughs> you know, I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, watching the presser of Les Snead and Sean McVay because I feel like there's always so many things you can learn from coaches like and GMs because while they try to be candid or uh, not so candid, they usually are. <laughs> um, and 
Les Snead, if you if you've ever paid attention to the things he says, the, he usually is kind of a man of his word without trying to be. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's if he says wins a presser without trying to win it, you know. Yeah, he if he says you know we need we need a you know we need to build guys up front, then he's probably meaning it, which he said a lot before they went out and they. Uh, drafted uh, uh what was it five linemen <laughs> you know you know so they uh and and this is strictly with the draft i'm talking not necessarily anything else you know he said he was going to bring back the entire secondary he didn't but when, you, when you're talking draft with less need the things he say he means you know so when i listen to him talk about we want some explosive players and that we got signs all over the building that. That when we, to where we got signs all over the building talking about explosive, you know, and then you look at the players they've brought in, and I know there's I know there's at least one TST uh, commenter who's gonna love this. TD Anderson, this is a shout out to you, <laughs> but I would not be shocked that if a Dory Jackson is there at 37, I I, I'm not a fan, but you you gotta connect the dots. No. They want explosive players, and they want it on both sides of the ball. Their you know words. What, they- the whole reason that he didn't develop as a cornerback is because they messed around and played him on both sides of the ball. He was never really truly effective as an offensive weapon, despite what they want to put. Uh, he he had some explosive plays. Don't get me wrong, but more often than not, it I, I mean it was okay. I mean cool. Um, I, I'm just saying, it it wouldn't shock me. You know, he's somebody no, that. No, it wouldn't shock me Rams at all. Have, Look, if the Rams, Rams drafted bit... Juju Smith-Schuster, I wouldn't be shocked. If the Rams drafted well, Adore no, no, Jackson, no, no, no. I wouldn't be shocked. If the Rams drafted Forrest Lamp, I wouldn't be shocked. If the Rams moved up and drafted Corey Davis, wouldn't be shocked. Like, well, and that's all... what I was gonna say. And that's what I was kind of getting at. You know, he 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 doesn't shy at, like the things that he doesn't want any part of. Lesney shies away from quickly. <laughs> he doesn't shy away from the stuff when he's interested. Will be in. and when he, in the third round, though, I don't, I'm not sure he will. I have a th- I have a th- late third round grade going into the fourth round, but I'm not sure that he will be. You know, I th- I think that he's going to be one of those players that teams reach for. I think because at the end of the day, people are going to look at the numbers, realize that Adoree Jackson wasn't a lockdown corner. He didn't really overly excel at special teams he wasn't overly impressive on offense he was good he was definitely in addition but to usc adoria jackson is kind of just one example you know i'm all i'm saying is i think that i think, I think they john ross say, is a guy like you talk about fast and explosive that's what I would that's not what i'm getting at <laughs> that's ross. what i'm getting at I, that's what exactly what i was about to hit at i would not be shocked if i saw the rim because again we know he's willing to trade up. And when he was flat out asked about moving into the first round, there was no hesitation about it. He he, he actually was kind of like really talking about it. <laughs> and then he's he went like, into, we, we want, want, he, we want some explosive players. We want guys who lead the pack. We want guys who were the best at their position. That's the John Rosses. That's the Corey Davises. That's the Forrest Lamps. That's the, that's the I guess, the Adoree Jacksons, man. It's It's... It's it's however you value the player, and certainly yeah, it's absolutely how you value the player. The most shocking thing in the world because the Rams are going to have all sorts of access to Adoree Jackson. They'll have put him through every damn thing that they want. Like 
I just don't think that Adoree Jackson solves any problem. He is not a quality quarterback. I don't think he does either, but that's not and the point. <laughs> he's the same size as everyone else who's catching the I don't ball. think he solves any problems, but that's not the point. The point is there's no denying that he is is explosive. He's a when you start He's talking a about when you start talking about when you start talking about the explosive players in the draft and you start looking up looking at the the top 40 players, when you start drawing names of who's the most explosive in that top 40 range, now again, I don't think he's a top 40 player. But, but somebody is going to bring up his name if you pull if you pull Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, if you were to say top 40 most explosive, yeah, Dory Jackson's in the maybe the top 10, you know, most explosive, but just top 40 players. I don't think he's in the top 40 players, but if you're talking about just being explosive, yes, he is. Now, if that, that the, as far as the top players, they, it ranges all over. You're going to hear his name everywhere. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about him going in the first round. So wow. I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he's gone somewhere in the top 40 picks. And uh, when you talk about the Rams wanting somebody explosive, they're not afraid to move up. I wouldn't be shocked to see them go get a John Ross if he if he slides due to some uh, injury yep. fears and things like that. Like, I wouldn't be shocked. And you know what? My, my, my range for the Rams to move up, I'm ac- I've actually extended it. I really believe that they can move as high as 19 as um, as the rumor is. There's three teams. None of the names have been leaked. There's three teams that's been talking with the Bucks about moving up in the first into the first round. Okay, three teams. <laughs> okay, so let that soak in. There's only three teams that don't have first round picks. <laughs> yeah. So, so it wouldn't be a shock if the Rams moved up to 19. Again, Fair it's enough. not that expensive to move up into the back end of the first round. So, it, well, we should we shall see. We will find out. Yeah, uh, but we're about to hit the two hour mark, so let's wrap this thing up. Uh, like I said, follow us on Turf Show Times. We'll be back next week. If you have questions, send them on in. I'm pretty sure we answered most of what we got at uh, some form or another. But as always, if you send the damn questions in, we will answer them and we will give them to the guests. Like, believe it or not, we have some really, really smart people on here. You can ask them whatever you want. This is not rocket science. Send them in. Um, and with that, I will say for Myson and myself, enjoy your weekend. Uh, go Manchester City. Beat United. And uh, we will catch you next week here on Turf Show Radio. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.